My name is Angela. My name is Nicole. And welcome to the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Hello, Stitchers. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Ominous Stitch Podcast. Take a stitch. Take a stitch. Amazing. So today we have a little bit of a fun house going on at the farm. At the farm line. We're having a doggy play date. And Mr. Miles, who's Nicole's dog, is over here. He is like a mini version of my dog, Rosie. They're exactly the same. They are so similar. It's hilarious. So they're both brindle and white, but Miles is... A little more compact. A, he's, <laughs> he's a little bit smaller and he's got a little bit floppier ears. And he's and way tail. more puppy-like than my dog, which is hilarious because no, he's, he's twice the age of my dog. Yeah. <laughs> called ADD for dogs. <laughs> so if you hear a little extra barking or a little extra tail thumping, we have another little visitor over yeah, here on the farm they're finally calmed down it took us a couple hours yeah it took a few hours oh we're like gosh. we cannot podcast yet nope yeah and you also might hear some wood chipping happening Woo! which is going to be included in my stitches we're having some trees trimmed around actually, the property actually why don't you so. just go into that what's your stitch angela <gasps> okay so my stitch this yes. week is that we are having our trees trimmed That's right right and we before we okay let me rewind a little bit <laughs> okay we got the alpaca, Yay! which I talked about on the last episode That's that right. we were getting them. Uh-huh. They are here. Yay. They are beautiful and amazing. And I love my girls so Yay. much. They Aww. are so much fun. Good. And they're really, really fun, funny. They're funny because they're like cats. They don't want to talk to you unless you ignore them. And then they want to come close to you. <laughs> or if you have food. If oh, you have food one. around you, they're like, oh, yes, please. Yeah, yes. I love you. Food. Yes. You're my best friend yeah. and you may touch my nose. <laughs> but Aww. if you just want to go in there and be like, hi, I love you. They're like, get away from no, me. No, I don't want you. No. <laughs> That's funny. They're so cute. And the way they talk is my favorite because they're very quiet, very stoic, very peaceful animals. But when they talk to each other, they go like this. Hmm. 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 Oh, I love it. That's it. They just hum. And it's so cute. They're not, they don't yell at you or scream no, or anything like goats no, do. No. And they're like, nah. No. no. They go, hmm. I love that. That's it. They're so cute. Oh. And I love them so much. Good. So we have this wonderful, big, huge, beautiful paddock area for them mm-hmm. in the back of our house. Right. And we spend, you know, a lot of time getting it ready for them and it's all perfect and beautiful. And then we had our tree service come. So there's a ton of trees that line the back. <laughs> oh no. I think sorry. Ms. Nicole's dog just <laughs> farted. <laughs> I tried to ignore it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. Oh, keeping it real, Miles. Yes, Good job, thanks, dog. Miles. Okay. So we have a bunch of, a bunch of the trees line the back area, right, right. the backyard. It's good shady um, area. Yeah, good shady area for them. So that means we had to move them because the trees are getting cut down. So we do have another paddock area that's on a hillside. Mm-hmm. And so we had to move them from their back paddock to the hillside. And the way the alpaca work is they don't cross a line. They if so if you just need something simple like a rope. Yeah. Right. So we used a rope and we created a circle around them. So it was like a movable corral. Question. Do you have a like leash? Like, are they leashed like that? Or are they just? They are not 
halter train. So that's something that we're working on with them. It is possible to halter train alpaca, but these girls have not been halter trained. So that's something that we're trying to get. So what do you do with the rope then? So we create a movable corral. So it just needs four people to stand in a circle with a rope around the the alpaca. Uh, On the outside. On the outside. I was thinking like the inside. I don't know Well, I was on the inside because I was holding their favorite treats to try to entice them. Right. But anyway, so and then you just move as a group. And because they don't want to touch the rope or cross the line, they will just go wherever you want to move them. That is so weird. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It was really cool. So I, you know, the tree trimmers helped helped me move the alpaca to the other paddock area Mm -hmm. and there's this one spot where we have to get them between the camper and where they were going into the gate and they didn't really like that spot because it was a little bit tight Mm -hmm. so it was kind of like going into a shoe and they didn't like that and so they started to push on the rope a little bit and one of the guys let go of the rope and so I got this really massive rope burn on my hand so that's the only downside is that I did get a rope burn other than that it was a very smooth move and then they're happy on the hillside and they're they're doing great I'm sorry though no it's okay it's just you know it's not very pretty (laughs) it looks painful yeah it you know it, it's fine. I'm farm tough. I can get handle it. a little rope burn. Yeah, yeah. get it, farmer. And I'm learning that I n- always need to wear my gloves when I'm moving there them. There you go. So you learned a lesson. In case they want to test the rope. Yes. Which is very unusual, but they just didn't like the area that we were trying to sure, shuffle them in. Sure, they were new to it, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was my stitch, though. We had okay. a successful move of the alpaca. Good. They're, I know they're excited to have a new environment to be in, but I know they'll be excited to get back to their, their paddock when we are done with the tree trimming. Yeah. But I also wanted to mention tree trimming because you might hear some saws going yes, on. Yes, dogs barking at the <laughs> tree dogs trimmers. dogs barking at the tree trimmers. Although yeah. they are pretty calm now. They are. Yay. They're finally napping. Oh, They've been finally. playing all day. So they finally wore themselves oh. out. Oh. Do we talk too soon? I think we talked too soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, but yeah, we apologize if you hear dogs barking at all. So yeah. It's cool. Farm life. So what has you in stitches, Nicole? Okay. Have you ever gone through life like being normal and like things are fine and then something changes with your body because you get older? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm facing this weird thing now that I guess I snore. Oh, no. And my husband gets so mad at me. <laughs> Because he can't sleep now. And I'm like, I don't know I'm doing it. And he's right. like, yeah, you're on your back and you snore. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't know that. He's like, and then my little one comes in and still sleeps with me. Like he climbs uh-huh. into bed every single and night, snuggle. which is fine. I, you know, it's cool. He'll grow out of it. I know. But when he comes in, I roll over and I stop snoring. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like I'm so on my side. So now your husband's like trying to con- entice your little one to no. come in to keep you from snoring. <laughs> no, but I just—it's weird. I've never like I've snored maybe when I'm sick, you know. Yeah. Because yeah. my, but now it's like I do it more often and I don't even know it. Oh. So I'm. I think I'm gonna, gonna invest, do a sleep study. I'm gonna do breathe right strips. I think I'm okay. gonna try them out. But I was just like throwing out to the community, like everybody out there who snores. <laughs> You might what's, need a sleep study. Yeah. Well, it what's might be your sleep apnea? Yeah. Well, what's your what's your go to to get rid of it? So, I was reading it and I was like, the first one's like, oh, if you're overweight, lose weight. I'm like, that's stupid. Like that's the worst <laughs> thing ever. No. So that's always the advice, like lose the weight. Doctor, yeah. I'm like that doesn't always just, just solve just everything. Sure. Yeah. If if it was that easy, oh, then everybody would, would be overweight. Yeah, everybody yeah. would do it. Yeah, it's fine. It's stupid. No. So I'm gonna try the breathe right strips, but wish me luck. I just don't know what to do. Cause I'm like, this is new to me. Yeah. So yay. Do you snore? Do you know if you snore? I don't know if I snore. 
my husband does on occasion, but it's like soothing to me. Oh, like, <laughs> like, that's so cute. When I hear him sleep, I'm like, oh, okay, I can sleep now. So I was like, wait for him to fall asleep first, and then I fall asleep. That's sweet. Yeah, I have I have um headphones like a it's a bandana thing that it's like I listen to podcasts like sleep podcasts. Oh, and, fun and music because I can't sleep without noise. It's weird. My brain just won't turn off. Yeah, yeah. We that's why we have the TV playing all night. Well, there you go. Yeah. Our our favorite sleep show is How I Met Your Mother because we've seen it so many times you it's can like fall asleep to yeah, it. yeah fall asleep to it i That's have no funny. need to watch it i can kind of watch it in my brain you and, know already yeah, yeah so I, I do that with my headphones and that, that helps me just like and i'm like telling my husband do that instead so you don't hear me so we're trying that out too but uh -huh. like it's so frustrating. Yeah. I just feel bad because like I've never snored before. Oh, well, don't feel bad. You well, can't help it. I know, right? It's weird. Yeah. Gay body changing. So <laughs> that's my Hooray stitches. for getting older. <laughs> Welcome Woo! to your 40s, Nicole. 40s. Everything's great. Yeah. Pretty soon you're going to have to like walk yourself up when you're trying to get oh up my out of a chair. That's fun. <laughs> that's fun. You put your hands on your knees and you try just to push yourself it. up. Oh my gosh. Yay. Getting old is fun. Yay. So there you go. But today's story is insane it's <gasps> not about people getting old this is about uh younger people doing some extreme things but yeah i don't yeah. want to get into it too much right now oh i'm excited yeah. i have i don't know anything about this story so i'm going in completely blind Yay! which is going to be so exciting i'm so excited to tell you're going to you. get like some crazy reactions from me i can already tell just from the look on your face <laughs> I've I got, wish you guys could see this. I was face. telling her, I was like, I've got so many photos because um, it, it really helps paint the picture of this event. So I'm going to show her a bunch and I will post it on social so you guys can see it too. Not the gruesome ones. There are some pretty like graphic photos. Uh huh. I will not post those. Okay. You can check it out. I'll, I'll link them if you want to, if you're that okay. morbid. But oh. yeah. <gasps> oh, I've yeah. got shivers. But so okay. I told Angela, I was like, for our stitches today for crochet, yeah. you got to do like something warm. I was, just, I said beanie, and she's like, oh, I got it. Oh, I got, I got you beanies. She's got me. I got you beanies. And I can't do beanies. I haven't tried it, but I've, I've, <gasps> I've looked at patterns. Uh huh. And they look hard. <laughs> no, so, it's not hard. So should we dive in? Should we get stitching? Let's get stitching. Let's get stitching. Okay, stitchers. So when Miss Nicole said, let's do a beanie this time, I was yeah. like, oh, girl, I got you. I've even made you this beanie. I've made this beanie for so many people. It was like what I did. It's a two day beanie for me because the first day is making the brim and then the second day is just making the whole hat and then I'm done. It's a two day beanie. That's so cool. I've made so many of these. And she she changes the colors and I uh, that in itself makes me excited. Yeah. Well, yeah. Changing colors is easy well, for her easy on this beanie. <laughs> but so the one that I'm holding right now is what I call my sunset beanie because it looks like a sunset. It's really pretty on the beach. I like See? it like beach right here. Oh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So so this beanie, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Yes, do this it. This is a CC copycat beanie by Tanya Hart. And I Thanks, Tanya. learned this video. I learned this pattern off of the... I learned this pad, this pattern. I was going to say patio. Let me do it again. <laughs> I learned this pattern off of a video on YouTube by Stitch Upon a Star. Ooh. And she has special permission to do this video. Oh, okay. So I don't know if I'll be able to do the video. We'll check but it. But if, yeah, we'll check and see if we can also make a video of this. But if not, Stitch Upon a Star, CC Copycat Beanie 
or Bun Beanie by Tanya Hart. Ooh, and you can buy this pattern on Etsy, on oh. Tanya Hart's Etsy store. Oh, that's awesome. And there's a link in that uh, on how to buy on that on this YouTube video you as well. It. Yeah. So the only thing that I do different is I close off the top unless somebody specifically requests it to be open. Oh, because it's a Bun Beanie. Because you it's can put a bun your bun beanie. out. Duh. Yeah, you that's put your bun cool. Out. Okay. Put your buns out. <laughs> so, or I'll close it up. And I, I, I mostly close it up. So I'll tell you how to close it up. But... Nicole, you were actually the one that inspired this beanie like a year ago. Because I sent you a link. You Well, you didn't send me this link. You sent me like the real CC beanie, which is a knit beanie. Oh, it's not crochet. And you're like, I want to do this, but it's a knit beanie. Uh, How do we do it? So I started looking up copycats. That's okay. why it's a copycat. Got it. Because it's a crochet beanie. And so they use a special technique to get this knit look with the V's going sideways. Do Very you see that? Cool. So we're going to yeah. talk about that. Okay. Mostly when we're doing this pattern. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit about the pattern. So what you're going to do, you're going to start with the brim. And the brim is going to be, I believe it's 16 stitches wide. So you're going to chain mm. 17 plus one is the, or no, it's 15 stitches wide, 16. So you chain 16 and that, that includes your turning chain. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to slip stitch your way back. Oh, easy. Yeah. Then you're going to, this is, this is how I learned to do the ribbing. I think I talked about this in last yeah, week's episode, the did. ribbing. Yeah. So you slip stitch your way back and then you half double crochet into the back of the slip That's stitch, right. right? Just the back loop only of the slip stitch. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you chain one to turn and you slip stitch your way back in the back loops only. So you're always working in the back loops when you're slip stitching or if you are half double crocheting, you're always working in the back, back loops. Got it. And it makes this really nice V in the ribbing. That and is you so have this cool. Big space. I it's love really it. pretty. I like it a and lot. And so you're going to do that until you get, I think, well, however long you need the brim to be. So I think it's like 76 rows you're going to make of that before you fold it in half you stitch it together so that it's a circle then you fold it in half and once you fold it in half it lays flat so it lays flat then yeah. when you fold it in half you're going to single crochet your way around to close it got it does that make sense yeah and there'll be 76 single crochets around to close it nice okay and 76 fits like my head yeah 76 it's a, a it's head. a that's pretty it's big a, you know, it's a large, it stretches. Yeah. So it's like the average size for a, a large beanie. Or regular yeah. Beanie. For a regular beanie. Got it. You know, you can measure your own head size. I think it's like a 19 inch okay. head size. So you can measure your own head size and see what you need. Got it. So 76. So after you do the 76 single crochets to close up those two ends, then you're going to do a round of half double crochets. So the cool thing about the half double crochet, and this is where you get this really cool effect where you have this horizontal V that's going around. So when you're doing the half double crochets, there are actually three loops that you can enter. You can enter the top V or there's another loop behind that top V. You'll see it? Yes, you'll okay. see it. So when you go into, so you're gonna go past the, the, the front loop and the back loop, and then there's a third loop behind that one. Okay. Then you're going to just pick up the third loop and half double crochet your way all the way around. Ah. That way that top V lays down in the front. Oh, Do you see it. that? Uh -huh. So this horizontal V that's going around is yeah. actually that top V oh, that's because cool. you're crocheting into that third loop behind right that in okay. the half double crochet. So you're going to do three rows of that and then you're going to do a row of single crochets into that third V, mm -hmm. that third loop again 
of, of that last row of half double crochets. And then after you single crochet, you're gonna do a row of double crochet and then you're back doing the half double crochets and you're gonna do three rows of that half double crochet I going into that, that back loop. Now I see Then the you pattern. do a single crochet, okay. a half or a double crochet, mm -hmm. and then you're back, back doing your ha uh, half double crochets yeah. into that back loop. That is so cool. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. But then and what so is the top we did part, one, two, three times of that kind of a pattern. Uh -huh. And then you start your you're going to do let's see, I think that's a single crochet that goes around after you finish your last Half double. Half double. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to do a row of double crochet. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to start your decrease. So you're going to start with, I think it's four single crochets and then a decrease, four single crochets and a decrease, four single crochets and a decrease Got all it. the way around. Mm -hmm. And then it's three single crochets and a decrease. Nice. All the way around. Two single crochets and a decrease. Then it's one single crochet decrease and you alternate between all of those. And by the time you get to that, you're, I think you have about 25 stitches left. Nice. And then when you have 25 or 26 or however many stitches you have left after you've done the decrease, single, decrease, single, decrease, single, mm -hmm. then if you want to put in a ponytail holder to have that bun beanie to have it open on top, then you single crochet that ponytail holder into the top. Oh, that's smart. Right? So that's yeah. what gives you that nice elastic yeah, that makes open sense. top. That's cool. If you want to close it, mm -hmm. you take a long tail and you weave it and in between and then you it. cinch it closed. Easier. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So that's it. That's the bun. I mean, that's that, pretty easy. The CC, what did it, what is it called? The CC copycat. copycat bun beanie by Tanya Hart. I love it. It's a really easy hat to make. Yeah. We will link but the... But it looks complicated. That's it what looks I like complicated. It. And it's... I can't tell you how many requests I get to make this hat. <laughs> I make me. it all the time. <laughs> yeah. I made you one. I love it. It's super warm. My kids warm. loved it. It's funny. Yeah. They wore it more than I did. Yeah. Like, so I made, I made one for each of my kids because they did ice skating. And so they needed warm hats. And then all of the skate coaches were requesting them. That's right. So I made them for all of the skate You're coaches. So nice. And yeah, and then they also did rock climbing. The rock climbing coach requested one, so I made one for him. Mm. So I'm telling you, this is a beanie everyone loves and requests. I gotta try it. And it looks good in, yes. in if you wanna do multiple colors like this one, and we'll post a picture of this one. Or if you wanna do single colors, you know, it looks great either way because it's got a great kind of texture effect it does. to it. That's what, it. That's what I'm saying. It looks so complicated because it's just different rows. And I love it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's wait, fun. real it quick fast. question. So yes. when you're jo when you're joining, yes, do you join it with a slip stitch, or do you actually go in a like a round, like a like the what's it called, like a magic circle? Oh, that's right. So when you do the rows, because you are stitching in the round. Thank yeah. you for that question. Because I, I didn't confused. cover that. Okay. Yeah. So you do slip stitch to join each round uh, okay. and chain one before you go into Got the next it. round. Okay, okay. Yes. That makes sense. Slip stitch to join chain, chain one. one. Okay. Yes. And then you start the next round. And okay. you can see my seam right here. Yeah. It's not. I mean, I was didn't even notice it until I was like looking for it. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yay. Yay. I, I love mean, it. it does leave a seam. There probably is a way to do it seamless. But if you want your rows to be straight, yeah. you got to slip stitch. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. That's fine. I love it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to post a picture because Angela was demonstrating and I took a picture. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a really cool beanie. You guys got to check this out. We'll link the, the YouTube video for it. Yes. And if we can make a video, we will. Yeah, because it's a can. it's a fun it's a fun beanie to make. Okay, people love this beanie. I love it, it too. Yeah. 
I love it's it. Fun. Good job. Okay, so that's it for stitches. So we we did the beanie because because the story time takes <gasps> place in cold. Cold, cold, cold. So it's story time. It's story time. So as you saw on our episode, obviously, I'm covering the Diet Love Pass. <gasps> it is crazy. And disclaimer, they the scientists say they've solved it this year. Back in March. I don't think they did. Ooh. No. When did it take place? 1959. <gasps> so in 59, this happened. And just this past March, they, they think, think they, they solved, solved it. it but, but you don't believe them. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm, I believe them to a certain extent, but it's doesn't to me explain every single thing that happened oh it's pretty interesting creepy. So, okay i'm ready let's and find then out. disclaimer also i don't have russian in me <laughs> i've never spoken russian <laughs> duh duh <laughs> so i'm very 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 sorry if i butcher these names i didn't get a chance to like go through google and try to do it and, and so yeah if i butcher them that's okay they I'm just sorry. sat through a podcast of me butchering all of the names in bigfoot lore so <laughs> <laughs> when I was editing that, I was just laughing so hard at myself. I'm like, why can't I learn how to say names? Like I, I sing in other languages all right? the time, but I can't, can't pronounce it's all things. Good. It's so yeah, funny. We're very English. We're very sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> what I'll do is I'm going to explain the situation and everything that happened. And then I'm going to go into like the million theories at the end. Okay. Okay. I'm and ready. You'll tell me what you think. Okay, so like I said, this this is going to take us to Sverdlovsk in Sverdlovsk Oblast, Russia. And again, the year is 1959. And we come across students from the Ural Polytechnic Institute, which is now known as the Ural State Technical Institute. These students are all highly experienced hikers with ski tour experience. Okay. okay, so they know what they're doing. Out they know there. what they're doing. Okay. And I'm going to like reiterate that a lot. Igor Dietlov is among these students. Okay. Okay. And he's the 23 year old radio engineering student. And he has chosen to lead this group of students and, and some graduates on a skiing expedition across the northern Urals and reach mountain that's called Otorten. This would be done in order to commemorate the 21st Congress of the Party of the Soviet Union. And they, this is pointed out because it was very common practice to dedicate trips in honor of the Communist Party. Uh-huh. <laughs> My note says Community Party. That's really funny. Oh, that's funny. Communist Party. <laughs> um, because most of the climbing gear that was provided by the university is from them. And so they get to, you know, say, hey, oh, yeah, it's Communist Party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But just know that none of the members of the group were communist. Okay. So, there you go. And the journey was to last two weeks, so 14 days. Now, as mentioned, the group of, there's 10 students, okay? They agreed to make this difficult trek. Again, experienced mountaineers. So they were grade two hikers. And at the time in 1959, grade three was the highest certification. So if they did this trek, they -hmm. would come back and be certified for grade three, the highest level and the hardest. And then I even made a note. So grade three is the highest and required candidates to span 300 kilometers or 190 miles of travel. So there you go. Okay. The end destination for Dietlov and his group was to reach the far northern regions of the Sverdlovsk Oblast, like I said, in the upper Mm -hmm. streams of the Lazva River. And the destination was Otorten. The Sverdlovsk city route commissioner approved their trip on January 8th, 1959. And the trek was to take place in late January, early February. And this supposedly was the most difficult time to traverse the mountain. 
Okay. So, Angela, I'm, like I said, I'm showing pictures. Yeah. This is the group. You can't really see them. I'll show you more. No, but yeah. Here's I a group of 10. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about these, these people. But the quick myth to debunk that is spread on lots of websites. There is a native tribe of people called the Mansi that live on and near the Urals. And Russian journalists claim that the name Otorten can be translated to don't go there. Oh, no. <laughs> but Otorten is a Mansi word that translates to Goose Mountain. Oh, okay. yeah. The legend is that after a massive flood, only one goose survived at the top of the mountain. Oh, my goodness. And so that's why they called it Otorten. Otorten. Also, or Torton and Kolat Siakl, the mountainous region in the Urals, they weren't religious places. So this was a big thing that everyone kept saying. The Mansi called these forbidden mountains because they were dangerous to the people, not sacred. So they avoided them at all costs. Oh. Not sacred. So, okay. If people are avoiding a particular region, yes. there's there's a reason for there's that. There's a reason. Yeah. It's pretty treacherous. Yeah. If nobody goes there, then you probably you should not exactly. go there as well. You shouldn't. Yes. Don't boldly go where no man has gone before. <laughs> but they did. They just, they wanted to, you know, they were thrill seekers, mountaineers, right? They like, wanted to do we it. We could do it. We're young. Yeah, no one else has done it. We yeah. could do it. Young. Oh, goodness. So there were eight men and two women, and they were all in their 20s, except for uh, Semyon, a.k.a. Alexander, who was 38 years old. He was a graduate. Oh, old man. Yes. <laughs> um, and I'm going to give names eventually, but again, check the socials for the pictures because there's so many names. It's hard. Okay. Okay. January 23rd, 1959, the Dietlov group was given their root book and they left Sverdlovsk City that same day. They arrived at Ivdel or Ivdel. I don't know. Ivdel, maybe central town of Sverdlovsk Oblast. Oh, I can't. I'm, this is going to be fun, guys. Early on January 25th. Then they traveled by truck to Vizhai the last inhabited settlement to the north. So if you're on a like map, he, they left here, they went here, and then the mountains are to the north. So this city right here is the mm -hmm. last like known civilization before they get into the mountains. Okay. That's where they are now. Okay. So January 27th, they started their hike toward Otorten. But alas, the next day, uh, one of their party, Yuri Yudin, came down with a bad sickness and something was acting up with his knee. So he had to cancel the trip and return home. That's actually good for him. Yes. Good yeah. job. <laughs> so there were now he only lived then. <laughs> yes. There were only okay. nine now. So a total of nine in their party. All information past uh, Yuri's return is based on recovered cameras and diaries <gasps> of the Diet Love group. Oh. That's ominous, isn't it? Yes. All right. Ooh, look at that picture. Okay. Yes. So the group faced extremely hostile weather conditions as they made their way to the Ortorton Mountain. On January 29th, they were able to ski their way to the Auspia River and over the next couple of days, make their way along the river. So they were able to kind of still traverse that way. Before they made their climb, they left all their provisions on a raised platform by the bank of the river in order to lighten their backpacks. So they knew like... This is where we're going to set up. This is all our provisions. We'll come back as soon as we can. And that's, you know, we'll have everything ready to go when we're back. Okay. Uh. <laughs> February but, Okay. 1st. So I'm looking at the picture. It looks yeah. like they're, they're cross-country skiing. Yeah. That's really which what it is. is yeah. It, it, I mean, that's, that's hard. Have you ever seen cross-country skiers I at the end of a race? Ski, yeah. <laughs> I've never skied, but like, oh, it's you hard. should, you guys Google cross-country skiers when they're finishing like a biathlon Do or a race or something. Exhausted? They are 
on the ground puking their guts out because they are so exhausted because it is a workout. Oh, I can't imagine. It is a workout. I can't even run. Imagine me on skis. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I've never been on backpacks. skis, so I would not be it's, good on this pass. Oh, I would be the first one to die. But like, I'm looking at the picture. <laughs> they are cross-country skiing into yes. a whiteout. Yeah, it's it's hard to see at all. There, yeah, it's there's it's a whiteout. There's nothing. Yeah. And so what? leaving their provisions in the middle of a whiteout they're I mean, never going to find them. They again. have provisions on them. They just don't have all of them. Okay. So they're just leaving. They're just trying to like lighten their load. Right. They have enough. They think because they're experienced. So they're taking yeah. what they think they need. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> well, it, do, it won't matter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> February 1st. Ready? Uh-huh. The group left a little later in the day. They kind of left later than they should have. And then as they made their way up, the group detoured 500 meters off their planned route due to the terrible weather conditions and limited vision. They had only traveled 2.5 miles and decided to camp where they, they ended up in the, after that two and a half miles. They ended up pitching their tent on the north slope of Colat Siakal, which translates to Dead Mountain. Oh, no. <laughs> by the Mansi. No. Yeah. And the area they stopped in was only 10 miles from Mount O'Torton. So they were actually really close, Mm -hmm. but they just couldn't see anymore. And it was just like, well, yeah, you got to stop. Yeah. Yeah. February 2nd, all members of the Diet Love group perish (gasps) in what is now called the Diet Love Pass incident. Oh, no. Now, how? Yeah, how? Let's go into everything. Okay. So the Dyatlov group was expected to return February 12th, and Dyatlov promised his sports club that they would send a telegram as soon as they returned, but that never happened. <gasps> but it was common in those days when you're hiking these big, long treks, it was common to have a few de- like day delay. Right. right. That, yeah. So they didn't, you know, pay it to mind. But until February 20th, when like some of the party members uh, family started worrying. Yeah. They're like, OK. Yeah. That is more they? than a couple of days. Yeah. We're like it's a, a week later. Time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, search party was then finally formed to look for the missing group. And this first group was only consisted of students and teachers. So they were the same kind of like two, you know, the, the same kind of hikers. So they were experienced. Right. 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 So they came out. When they didn't find any of the missing party, (gasps) Mm -hmm. army and police joined the search along with planes and helicopters. Okay. February 26th, the search party finally found the abandoned and damaged tent on Colat Siakul from the dietlovepass.com site. Mihail Sheravin, the student who found the tent, said the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. Mm -hmm. It was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Oh, After piecing things together, they concluded the tent was cut open from the inside and the entire group fled in socks or bare feet. Why? Put your hiking shoes on people. They left behind shoes, warm clothing, food, basically everything in the tent. They could visibly make out a chain of eight or nine sets of footprints that led down towards the edge of the nearby woods, but disappeared under snow after 500 meters. And in these prints, you could see bare footprints, sock sets, or possibly a single shoe. So obviously something happened. If the bear scared them. Yeah. When they followed the tracks, they came to a large cedar tree where there were remains of a small fire and the first two bodies. <gasps> yeah. Yuri, oh my gosh, Krovonishenko. He was Beautiful. 23 years old. Okay. Uh-huh. And Yuri, they're both Yuri's, Doroshenko, 21. Oh, their names are so similar? Yeah. Okay. There's a K and a D. There you go. Okay. 
the night they all died, the temperatures were between negative 13 to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy balls. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> My thoughts Those are exactly. frozen off. <laughs> yep. But despite this, both men's bodies were found shoeless and dressed only in their underwear. Oh, man. Something chased them out of their tent so fast. Or they had hypothermia going You're on. You're already. Just like, <laughs> yeah. I'm diving into the theories, You're right? You're already going. Oh. Cool. Yeah. Keep your theories, though. That's okay. fun. The searchers noted that the branches on the tree, the big cedar tree that they were under, were broken up to five meters high, which is 16 feet. Holy bajolies. When the medical examiner took a look at Krivonyshenko, they found liver mortis on his back. Yet he was found facing up, which means someone had moved them after they had died. Oh, so, photo. what? So they were they were covered. They had they had a cape on them, kind of. So there you go. So that's where they found the the two bodies. Oh wow! And so wait, okay, just two bodies. So he he had rigor mortis on his back. Yes, but then he was found face up. Yes. Did I am I re, am I remembering that right? Read that on his again. back. Yeah, he was found facing up, which means someone moved him. Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Which is yeah. Okay. Ooh. February twenty seventh. Investigators returned because remember they were found on the 26th. Right. The 27th. Yeah. They returned to look for more of the diet love group. Lo and behold, as the searchers looked between the tent and the large cedar, they found Igor Dyatlov, roughly 300 meters from the large cedar tree, and Zenaida Komogorova, uh, 630 meters from the tree. Oh, wow. She's far. They were both, uh, and I looked at more pictures later, they were really covered in snow. So they oh, okay. kind of finally found them. That's why it took them so long to, mm -hmm. to find them. Um, and then six days later, they recovered Rustem Slobodem's body that was 480 meters away from the tree. So they were all kind of in the vicinity of the tent and the tree. Right. They just couldn't see them. So because was, they were covered in snow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so, then, so they found what, so seven of the nine so far? Five of the nine. Five of the nine. Okay. So there's Diet Love. <laughs> math. Right? Yeah, math. <laughs> okay. Yes. Diet, Diet Love, Zenaida, uh -huh. and Rustem is right mm -hmm. there. So they're those three bodies. Okay. Now, all three of these bodies died in poses that were assumed they were trying to return to the tent. When a proper okay. examination was done on all five of those bodies, they found no injuries that may have led to their deaths. So the conclusion was... The, the, um, the three had died of hypothermia. Mm -hmm. um, however, there were strange symptoms that the examiners couldn't explain. Oh. However, um, for instance, they found a small crack in uh, Slobodin's skull. Not enough Ooh. to be a fatal wound, but it looked like he had hit his head over and over again. Oh. Komogorova had a baton-shaped bruise on her side. <gasps> And Dorshenko was brown, purple in complexion and also had gray foam coming from his right cheek and gray liquid from was leaking from his mouth. What? How, what? What? Also, the How? hands of the two hikers under the cedar tree were scraped away. And remember that the branches on the tree, the cedar tree were gone. Yes. So it looked as if the two men maybe have tried desperately to seek shelter from something or someone right. in the tree. Ooh. They noticed blood and tissue on some of the branches. <gasps> so, I mean, these are all speculations, obviously, right. but they could have been either trying to grab the trees to make the fire or to make a 
and I'll go into more to, theory to about climb this. up and get away from something. something. Yeah. And besides the first two under the cedar that had been found in their underwear, the other three were also very underdressed. So again, indicating they all fled their tent without proper preparation, despite being experienced hikers. The remaining four hikers bodies took over two months to find. Oh, my God. And this just made the whole scene even more mysterious. Okay. May 5th. May 5th. The other four hikers were discovered 50 meters farther into the woods from the cedar tree under four meters of snow in a ravine. These last four hikers were dressed way better than the others, which means the others that had passed may have relinquished their clothes to the others. So they were all warmly dressed. Okay. Okay. According to dietlovepass.com, Thibaut, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Thibaut Brignole was wearing Dubonina's fur coat and hat. So this is one of them. Dubonina's in there. She was wearing a brown sweater that tested radioactive. Radioactive. It was probably most, it was most probably Krivonashenko's, the one that was found under the, um, Cedar tree. Cedar tree, yeah. Okay. Zolotaryov uh, had Doroshenko's hat, and Kolevatov was wearing Doroshenko's overalls. The waistband of his sweater and lower part of his ski trousers also tested radioactive. Wow, why? <laughs> and after crazy. examining their bodies, three or of four had three of the four had fatal injuries, which changed the course of the whole investigation. <gasps> Yeah. So Thibaut Brignoli had major skull damage. Uh Uh-huh. And both Dubinina and Zolotaryov had major chest fractures. Ooh. Uh, The medical examiner, I'm not going to say his name, but the medical examiner (laughs) had said the force required to cause such damage, the uh, the force that had to cause so much damage, would have been extremely high and compared to a force of a car crash. Oh, my gosh. So, whoa. So, three of the four had internal damage. Right. That so was like that a was car the force crash. of a car crash. Yes. <gasps> and even stranger yet, uh-huh. some of the bodies had no external wounds, as if they were crippled by a high level of pressure. Oh. So, like, it wasn't something like crushing them or pushing them, like, like or beating them. Right. It was from the inside. They were crushed from the inside. Yeah. Pressure. <gasps> So like what? a car crash. Yeah. Like a car crash. <gasps> what? But how? What? The, the, okay. <laughs> so many I know, questions. Right. Were there like how? Okay. Were there any large stones or anything around that? I'm going to keep going. Them? Okay. No, just I'm, I'm listening. This is crazy. It's crazy. Yet strangely, Zolotarev was missing his eyeballs. What? Dubanina <laughs> was missing her tongue, <gasps> eyes, oh. part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and a fragment of her skull bone. So Dubanina, she's the one of the two girls. She had the most like damage to her face. They said like, and it keeps going back and forth. The tongue was either ripped out, oh, but it was gone. Yeah. Like I said, both eyes were gone. Yeah. So Dubanina had some serious, serious stuff going on. Kolovatov's body did not sustain any severe trauma like the other three. So he's the only one. What's crazy is they made a makeshift den in the ravine, later dubbed the Diet Love Pass Den. It was a small enclosure that was covered with branches to keep themselves warm. So they okay. were there. They were saying they were trying to make They were them- there for a while. So how... I don't get it. Yet despite oh, the makeshift what? den, all the bodies were found a few feet from the shelter in the deep part of the ravine. 
Mm-hmm. Some of the clothes that they took from the other hikers were placed on the cedar branches and they weren't even used. Oh, so what, what happened? I'm like, my, so I, here, I can't, my, <laughs> I know. So this is Dubanina. This is how they found her. She, okay. So there's a rushing water right here. Uh-huh. She's kind of laying against it. Okay? Right. Obviously, upon finding the second group of hikers, they have had to have died at very different times than the other five hikers since they were using the clothing of the fallen. Right. There's another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is another one. My head is spinning, Nicole. I don't understand how. That's a gruesome one. Oh, yeah. The eye, no eyeballs. No eyeballs. Oh, my gosh. What happened? <gasps> ah! <laughs> this is why it's it's insane. Now, after finding all the missing hikers and after autopsies were performed, the Soviet government ended up closing the case pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Because they were like, oh, well, we're going to cover this up. We don't want to go. We don't like nobody's going to find out what happens. I'm sure the government knows, but they're going to let people know. Well, yeah. So they closed off. Conspiracy theory. (laughs) They closed off the area to the other hikers for three years and supposedly. Three years? It was still a classified case. Oh my gosh. But the cause of death for all the hikers were very vague. And the verdict? Mm -hmm. Natural disaster and the hikers' incompetence to handle the harsh conditions. Mmm. They named that section of Kolatsiakl the Diet Love Pass, obviously, and a memorial was erected in the Mihailovsko Mihailovsko Cemetery in Sverlosk in 1962. Okay. Now, I'll try to include this map in socials, but they marked where they found the bodies and tried to make an accurate picture of the campsite, and I wanted to show oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah, see I that? see it, yeah. So here's the tent. They uh-huh. ripped it out, and then this is the cedar tree. Right. And there's the river and the ravine. So there's where all the bodies were found. They're, they're kind of like in a line. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. And I'm going to show you another. That's map. interesting because I thought they would be like ones over here, ones over here, but nope. kind of in that they area. Kind of, yeah, they were smart. They knew where they were. They, well, not this was crazy because I'm going to show you another map, but this was really creepy. So they, there's no way this is a natural disaster. Like something, some stuff went down. This is why it's so famous. Something went no down. no one knows except they think, but I don't think so. Okay. I'm sure somebody knows <laughs> what happened and they're just not wanting to let anybody know. Right. Okay, so <gasps> crazy theories. So many theories. I'm reading her notes. That's what so it says. So many there theories. Are. There really are. And she even has like periods between each one. <laughs> so it is are. read exactly like that. So many. So many. Okay, one. Mm-hmm. At first, Soviets initially thought the Mansi tribesmen may have ambushed the group. So the Mansi tribesmen lived in the Urals, right? Mm-hmm. And then this may account for the hurriedness of them rushing out of their tent, no clothes, and some may some are pretty crazy physical trauma. But the Mansi are known to be very peaceful. Mm-hmm. They're a very peaceful tribe. And there were okay. no other footprints and trails besides the group of hikers. Okay. So rule them out. Also, the physical damage on the few bodies were car impact trauma, not human trauma. There's no blood or physical evidence of any type of fight or murder. Right. That's what like, okay, the, the people in the ravine are yes. the ones that freak me That's out the worst. That's what changed everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <sighs> so no, no Mansies. They were great. Two, avalanche. Okay. Now this is the biggest one that they think they've solved. Okay. This so, is, so this is what they think happened happened okay. earlier this year this was in march scientists believe they solved what actually happened a slab avalanche 
Okay. The reason why they were so skeptical at first, and I probably put this in my notes, but there's no evidence of an avalanche when they came. Right. There's I no think snow on anything. There was like, it wasn't covered, right? They right. were able to find the campsite. Fine. Right. But a slab avalanche is is different. Okay. And, and oh yeah, their tent was set up. They're smart. So they were like, they wouldn't have put it on a slope where there was an avalanche. And there's only, it was like a 30 degree slope. So yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But a slab avalanche is a deadly snow slide that can strike on low angled slopes. And the new research shows that slab avalanches occur in the same region and under similar weather conditions that the Diet Love group experienced. According to Vice.com, slab avalanches happen when a slab-like layer of snow is positioned on top of a weaker layer, creating dangerously pent-up pressure that can be released by a relatively small trigger. The researchers suggested that the pitching of the tent might have set off a fatal chain of events that eventually led to a slab falling on the sleeping hikers, causing severe trauma in some of them and prompting the rest to run into the night without proper gear, where they ultimately succumbed to the cold. No. The investigators did not find any evidence of the avalanche because the wind and elements take the snow away very quickly in a matter of few hours, which scientists Gama and Puzrin have photo and video evidence of. Okay, good. I'm glad that those kinds of things happened. I call BS on this. I, I don't. Do too. I don't think that that's what happened. Well, because again, so the fatal injuries of those those the the ones that incurred the fatal injuries right. were way farther and they lasted longer. So right. if that slab avalanche happened and hurt them right away, they wouldn't have been able to get out, and they would have been the ones that died faster. Like right, right. So uh, yes, doesn't make any I sense. I agree. Like how, how did they wind up the furthest away and yeah. in a ravine and wearing clothes? Yes. While the other ones who are not injured. Yes. Died. That, that badly. Yeah. Died with no clothes on. No clothes on. Yeah. That make makes sense. no sense to me. I, I mean, I could see that happening right first. Like maybe that like something like a slab avalanche was about to ha- like their tent got knocked and they were scared. And that's why they ran out without clothes on. Yeah. But... Why are, that's not how they died not how they died but yeah the, the tracks leading away from the tent shows a very controlled and organized manner of evacuation so with all the evidence at the site there is an ambiguous conclusion during the evacuation of the tent even if it was due to a collapse or slow of a slow or avalanche none of the hikers received fatal or serious injuries right there right okay and those that side with this theory think the eyes and the tongue that were missing from the couple hikers were removed by scavengers and ordinary predation Mm. I can kind of see that, but again, they had, they experienced so much trauma. So like, where did that, I don't think they were able to make it that far yeah. and still live. Like if they were crushed <laughs> internally. Yeah. I don't see how they would be moving right. the farthest. Yes. And still live and longer, still live longer than, than the those that weren't injured. Exactly. It makes no makes sense. Makes no sense. So this is a picture of the slab avalanche and uh-huh. how it works. And I yeah. Okay. okay. Three. UFOs. See, okay, now we're hitting to more likely scenarios to me. (laughs) Okay, so this is cool. I'm going to tell you something that happened. The Mansi tribe claimed to have seen strange fireballs over the area where the Diet Left group died. When interviewed, they described it in great detail what they saw and even drew them. Unfortunately, these drawings disappeared. Of course they did. Or possibly still classified, even though Russia did release all the, the research information gathered. However, mm-hmm. the search parties lasted for over three months. They even saw these fireballs as oh, well as other residents of the Northern Urals. And according to the website Pottery Love, 
all members of the search group who were in the camp in the Lavzva Valley witnessed a UFO on March 31st. Oh my gosh. Valentin Yakimenko, a participant in these events, in his memoirs very succinctly described what happened. It was still dark early in the morning. The orderly Victor, oh my gosh, Meshurkyakov, Meshurkyakov, there you go, left the tent and saw a luminous ball moving across the sky. Woke everyone up. For 20 minutes, we watched the movement of the ball or disc until it disappeared Mm -hmm. behind the mountainside. We saw him in the southeast of the tent. He moved in a northerly direction. This phenomenon shocked everyone. We were sure that the death of the Dialavites had something to do with him. Oh, see? Okay. Because, okay, it makes this makes the most sense to me out of right? all of the scenarios. <laughs> and that's why I'm laughing. Right. Because it, okay, so the tent was split or slashed open. They cut it from the inside. So they knew oh, it they was from. Oh, they cut it from the inside. Yeah. That they finally pieced it together that the tent was cut, but it was from the inside because they could, they, they were able to, I think someone from like laundry services was able to piece that together. Yeah. Like they saw, they saw the slashes. There were some other slashes in there. Okay. But, they but saw it was cut they, from the inside. Yes. Interesting. So, they, so why did they need to cut the tent open? They were panicked, I think. Something happened. And they couldn't go out the that's front what of the I, tent? That's, that's what's confusing to me. I have no idea. Yeah. So why would they need other exits when a tent is a tent and it's the pretty flap. easy to right. go out the flap? Right. Hmm. And it's a big enough tent to, to hold nine people, too. Yeah. So that tent flap should be pretty big, right? Right. And then, okay. But that's why the slab avalanche, that's why they think they had to cut themselves out. Oh, see, they can so, go out. Okay, because they couldn't op- go go through their flat probably. Hmm. Okay, still. so maybe the UFO coming caused a slab avalanche. Am I? Is this that's what this I think? What you're thinking? Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, that makes more sense. If something came, like if an avalanche came, like it knocked their tent and they freaked out and they couldn't get out, they probably cut their tent open. They all like and they, because it wasn't evacuated so quickly, right? They all yeah. the line of of the foot the footpath is very obviously calm and collected there even though they're not wearing clothes yeah but they knew they all had to get but out what are the bear tracks and i don't think they're bare no there's no track oh bare foot tracks barefoot tracks no oh, bear not b-a-r-e bear. oh my gosh <laughs> no no like animal it's a tracks. yeti <laughs> that's another one that we get to yeah is it okay but it's yeah. okay so it's human feet that human are feet, naked they were human all feet. yes exactly not naked not, human not rar bear <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry. I didn't really clarify that. Okay. Okay. So let me get back to this. What they saw was reported to the headquarters of the search operation located in Ibdel. And the appearance of a UFO in the case gave the investigation an unexpected direction. Someone remembered that fireballs were observed approximately in the same area on February 17th. Thank you, Rosie. 1959, which was even published in the newspaper, the Tagil Worker. Okay, see? Okay. So, and some of the group brought journals as well as cameras in the Diet Love group. Okay. And in one of the last photos on a camera, there is speculation. I mean, this could be just a bad... Uh, when they found the camera, they were trying to maybe got exposed. But mm-hmm. there's speculation one of the hikers tried to take a photo of something that was either after them or what caused their <gasps> untimely deaths. Whoa, that's cool. It's very ominous, guys. Whoa. Right? Okay, Yeah. So it does look like there's like a fireball, but there's an additional light, which could have just been overexposure because I, I, so. I get those little yeah. lights all the time. But yeah. there's a definite like fireball looking thing. Now, this is the next photo. Okay. 
All right. Okay, the next photo. Some believe they were trying to capture a fireball or some sort of object in the sky. The dark circular objects on the bottom are the tops of heads. <gasps> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So, Ooh. they brought cameras uh-huh. and they brought journals. And I'm going to talk about that later because Dubonina's journal entries before, like, seemed like she was premonition picking up on something her own death like it was like evil mood and like but it could be what? taken with a grain of salt anyway okay okay i mean she is russian maybe everything is like yes. always dark and dumb that's true <laughs> four okay theory four like kicking my mic oh wait theory oh. three so ufos so any more thoughts on that before ufos we move on? well i i think it's hilarious that i feel like this is the most plausible thing so far because just the the circumstances of the deaths does not make sense it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Okay. I understand them. I Okay. The, the slope avalanche makes sense for them having to get out of the tent, but where they died, how they died and how they found them makes no sense to that theory. There's got to be something else that did that to them. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. My dog, when she has a stuffed animal and you can see all of her toys, she always takes the eyeballs out first. Right. And then I'm sure if there was a tongue, she would go for that as well. <laughs> so, I mean, it could be some kind of like an animal thing that was ripping out the eyeballs and the tongues. Afterwards, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. After after the death, because yeah. that's like, you know, predatory, predatory, I fresh, see fresh that too. easy meat to go after. And birds could do that, too. Yeah. But go after the eyeballs because it's not frozen. But why wouldn't you? Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, why wouldn't you go after all of their eyeballs then? Yeah, Why just isn't only two of them. I don't know. That's the way I don't part. know. I don't know. Right. Okay. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were. No. 1959. But yeah, so but the the thing that gets me most and why I think the aliens is a very plausible thing is that they were crushed on the inside. Right. With no external injury. Yeah, that yeah. makes no sense to me. Because like if it was a physical blow, like You'd have bruising. You'd have bruising. Yeah, and they had they no bruising. It was just their insides were crushed. Yes. How did that happen? We don't know. So I feel like they had to, there had to have been some kind of big shock wave or no, because then their bodies would have been bruised. Every, yeah, externally. I don't, I don't, that, um, if they fell off a cliff, so same thing. I yeah, think, yeah, their bodies would be bruised. You'd something see it, would like be broken. Some things, yeah. Yeah. Nope. I don't get that. Right. That is weirding me out so much. This is why it's such a mystery. Okay. Okay. So think about that. We'll right. go, we'll, at the end, we'll go, what do you think? Okay. okay. For heated romantic encounter. This was actually considered. Uh, Investigators huh. thought they maybe there were some heated arguments between the group regarding some sort of romantic encounter as there was a history of dating between several of the members. And maybe that's why there was a lack of clothing. Like someone might oh. have, you know, lame but, yeah this is the weakest <laughs> explanation i wrote that yeah. everyone who knew the group said they were very harmonious and all got along just fine and again like the mancy theory the internal damage a few of them suffered couldn't have been man-made yeah yeah so no and that yeah that's a lame weak very ass theory. lame yeah i don't like that one at all five okay yeti Yeti! <laughs> some claim that they were attacked by a Yeti and the some even include the Discovery Channel. Nice. Obviously. I love it. I love it. Um, there's a whole thing about it. but um, the, And that's why the injuries to some are so devastating. Mm-hmm. But there are no indications of an attack, right? like I said. Again, the group seemed to be of sane mind and calm. They built a fire. They built the den. Like they weren't out in the public. Like they weren't hiding from something, obviously. They were, right. So this is highly... I highly doubt that theory. Yeah. And well, there's no footprints. There's no footprints. There's no, again, no attack. Yeah. 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 
and I the cracked skulls that goes mm, along with Yeti, the, sure. the the branches broken yeah. at a certain you know, that kind of fits in with that whole right. Bigfoot Yeti lore sure. kind yeah, of yeah, a thing. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no They all would have been like brutally hurt, I think. And it yeah, would have looked been more, way more chaotic. Yeah. More bruising, more yeah. 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 No. They wouldn't have like yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't think so. Six KGB. Oh, theory is there is a cover up of KGB where the hikers either stumbled upon testing by the KGB, thus the radioactive clothing or yes, the radioactive stuff. I forgot about yep, that. OK, that some of the group were actually secret KGB officers, but the KGB supposedly made all the group undress in the cold, leave the tent so that the deaths could be natural. However, again, there is no indication of other people nearby apart from the Diet Love group. Mm-hmm. So that one's hard because there was a baton-shaped um, right. bruise. A baton-shaped bruise, skull. cracked skull. Uh, the, the, the testing of a weapon could be the crushing of the internal. but Yeah, and then also the fireballs. And that, the fireballs. That could be, you know, some KGB. kind of government testing, mm-hmm. like missiles or whatever. Right. You know, that happens where we live a lot because we have there's rocket testing happening in in our neck of the woods right and so that happens like i'll see weird fireballs in the sky all the time and i'm like well i know that it's it's a testing it's a testing right yeah so this kind of if they're like ninja kgb and they're able to cover everything up yeah there's no extra footprints and there's no that's what i'm saying they would have had to cover up a lot and And i I feel like they wouldn't have been sloppy and yeah like left so many odd things unanswered well, like it would have looked more clean no, it would have looked sure. more like the, they died of natural causes i feel like it would have been left right. more clean the reason why i think the kgb thing might be plausible is that they the government quickly shut it down right so i feel like the government knows a lot more than what they let everybody else know maybe because they shut it down so fast right but it may not have anything to do with I don't know. Well, I like I don't know. No one knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But that's I forgot about the radioactive Radio- stuff. But it's only one person's clothing. One person's clothing, but it was found on two different people. Yeah, but it was the wearing, same person's same clothing. person's clothing. But there's no radioactive traces on the bodies. On that person. Yeah. Oh, on the yeah, anybody. Just on the clothing. Just on the clothing. One person's clothing that they took off of that body. Remember? Yeah. Oh, what? Right. Seven. Theory seven. Catabotic wind. Catabotic wind. Yes. Okay. In 2019, a Swedish-Russian expedition was made to the site, and after investigations, they proposed a violent catabotic wind came through. Now, these are apparently violent winds that carry high-density air from a higher elevation down a slope under the force of gravity. They can reach hurricane speeds. There is a terrible example of this in 1978 when eight hikers were killed and one injured in the Anaris Mountains. Anaris? Anaris? Yep. mountains in sweden from a catabotic wind hmm. if this forced the hikers out of the tent why would they cut their way out yeah i feel like the tent would have blown over yes <laughs> right i feel like their stuff would have been scattered and not like neatly and still in they the would tent. have just run out of the flap right like yeah if something's blowing on them they would have just run out yeah why would they cut themselves out again it didn't look like they were trying to flee the tent in that crazy of a rush to get away from something that was going to kill them like a wind <laughs> Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's theory seven. Yeah. I, none of these theories, like <laughs> sticking with the UFO or the KGB. <laughs> I love it. Uh, my conspiracy theory, like it's going crazy because it's like crazy. 
There's it, so many weird mysteries of this, right? Yeah, yeah. This is such a good one, Nicole. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't. Eight, infrasound, hypothesized by Donnie Eicher, Eicher, Eicher in his 2013 book, Dead Mountain. He thinks the wind going around the mountain created a Carmen Vortex Street, which is a repeating pattern of swirling vortices. An example of this is when like suspended telephone or power lines vibrate to the point when they're singing. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, uh-huh, okay. uh-huh. This then would produce infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. Iker believes this caused the diet love group to panic and caused so much mental distress that they had to leave the tent by any means necessary. Once they moved farther down the hill, they were able to compose themselves and try to return to the tent. But because it was dark in the middle of the night, they couldn't return. And the three with internal trauma stumbled over the edge of the ravine and landed on the rocks at the bottom. No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. Okay, so this is the theory that's formulating in my head. Okay, I think the fireballs freaked them out. I think the fireballs got close to them or something that was mm-hmm. freaking them out. The fireballs are documented by other people in the area. So right. those happened. Right. We know that. So I think something was wonky with the fireballs. They had to get out. Maybe a fireball came close to them or made strange sounds or something mm-hmm. happened at that point that they were like, we got to get out of here. They, they fled. I think they all went into the ravine. And then one by one, they would try to go back to get something. And then that's when they were dying. But why would the two go to the cedar tree and build a fire there? I don't know, (laughs) but I feel like they were all, they all fled to the ravine because that was their camp. Like they made a secondary camp there. Mm -hmm. So maybe the people that got crushed. No, because they were wearing the clothing of the dead people that were trying to go back to the tent. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking. They all go down there and then those people were the most injured. So they gave them their clothing when they were going back to the tent to get more supplies or something. Mm. And then they died along the way to the tent. So I think they all fled, made it to the ravine, gave their clothing to the people that were dying to help insulate them a little bit more. But why were the cedar people in their were, underwear? The cedar people, because they gave their clothing to the people and that were still in the tent and dying. But why would they strip down to their underwear and come back to the cedar tree and make a fire? I think they were on their way back to the tent and they stopped at the cedar tree to make a fire. Because hmm. I think maybe... But this was negative 22 degrees. Why would they go strip down to them? If they knew they were... Because the den, okay, so this den, I'm going to go yeah. into detail more about it. Basically, can it was like so they're good. They were they were good hikers and experienced that it kept them warm. Yeah, so they they made the den. Right, they all made it to the den. They right. built the den, and then the healthier people were going back to right. get more supplies. But I'm saying when they just go, okay, stay here. They were fine probably in what they were wearing. We're going back out in the cold. They would probably be wearing their clothes. Oh, so okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> because they're going back yes. into the cold, they would need the clothes yes. more than the people that were in the exactly because the den's going to keep them warm already. Right. So well, I was thinking that the people that were crushed, they were trying oh. to insulate them more. Okay. Because they were trying to keep them alive, so okay. they put the clothes on the injured people, and they're like, "We're healthy and strong. We can make it back to the tent to get more stuff okay. and put it on at the tent." They're like, "We just have to hike." however many 500 meters 500 meters we just have to hike 500 (laughs) meters back to the tent we Uh can do it in our underwear I don't know I wasn't there obviously (laughs) but this is a theory that I'm working on because this makes the most sense to me okay but I don't know what killed them like I feel like maybe one person took off and then or a couple people took off and then they died and then a couple more people went out to look for them maybe that's why they had the camp under the cedar tree because they were looking for everybody else that that was 
closer to the tent, but every time they would try to get to the tent or closer to the tent, they would die. I don't know because the people in the ravine were the last to die. Am I touching on something? Because you're like smiling over there. <laughs> well, there's some things I'm going to go into why okay. it's so weird still that I, I'll double check. I'm trying I'll to form my theory. It's good. <laughs> keep it. Keep going. Okay. Nine military testing. Another uh-huh. theory that ties in seeing falling objects in the sky and is the Diet Love campsite was right in the path of a Soviet parachute mine exercise. Oh. This theory believes the hikers heard explosions in the middle of the night, which caused them to panic and flee the tent. Those who were fatally injured was because of a falling mine. But there was no external injuries, right? Right. Apparently, there are records of the Soviet military testing out parachute mines near the area at the same time that they were camping. But we would have seen fatal external trauma if this was the case, like I just said. Yeah, also, yeah that makes no sense. Yeah, they would have been blown up. Yeah. Also, we do not see any evidence on the ground of weaponry because they would right. have left... There would have been shrapnel and stuff everywhere. Yeah. Another theory along these lines was that they were testing radiologic weapons due to the radioactivity on some of the clothing. But But it was all on one person's clothing. Exactly. 10, animal attack. (laughs) They wouldn't have abandoned the tent due to wildlife. That was the biggest thing that I was like, no, they wouldn't have left the tent. Right. Remember Bigfoot? Yeah. Watch that stupid movie. They didn't want to leave the tent. Yeah. And there were nine of them, so they would have been able to fend animals off. And there was no evidence that there was wildlife that ever visited the campsite. No scratch marks on anybody. Nothing. Right. The bare feet are not raw bear, but like <laughs> not raw bear. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Eleven. Paradox undressing was mentioned. So this is what you're yeah, kind of talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get hypothermia, you take off all your clothes. Yes. Yeah. And they think they're hot and burning. Right. And that's why you found the deceased not wearing much. However, most of the group attempted survival, whether by making the fire or going to the den. Right. So they were still sound of mind. Right. Okay. The um, To recap. So that was all I had for theories. Okay. But that's me, a lot of theories. I know. To, I'm going to recap a bunch of things, the questions that are still very mysterious and hard to answer this day. And then tell me your theory. Okay. okay. Now, one, the footsteps show the group not fleeing the tent in a hurry, but the footsteps showed them retreating. It will look like a walking in a line. They were so quick to get out of the tent to cut the hole, but why not run? Mm-hmm. Two, why did they break cedar branches at a height of up to five meters when there were so many small trees around for a fire? Oh, yeah. Those that made it to the ravine built the den and possibly could have survived the night. And they had all extra clothing, clothing and some were even still hanging from the branches. So why weren't they wearing the extra clothes and how did they perish? That's still the question. Mm-hmm. Zolotarev left the tent with barely anything to face the harsh environment, but he had the time to take his camera. Oh, what? <laughs> Unfortunately, the film was damaged by the elements, but why take it? He was in the group that dug the den by the ravine to keep warm and seemed sound of mind. So if he had the time to flee the tent, there's grab something his camera, out there. He's got it. He's there. He also was found with a notepad and a pen in his hand, <gasps> but nothing was written in the notepad. Because somebody took whatever he wrote out of the notepad, maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. They found it with, I think whoever found it first just was like, they all saw it and there was nothing on it. There was a strange unidentified cloth. What? Called an abmatki and was found near the bodies. It's an old version of protection for feet worn by soldiers in the Red Army and is a long, narrow band that was wrapped around shoes to protect the feet of servicemen from natural elements. They stopped making, distributing these in the 1940s during World War II, but veterans kept it after their service. According to Yuri Yudin, the one that didn't make it with them, right? Right. Um, he said no one in the group carried this kind of thing. Because <sighs> that's what I was going to. I'm like, well, obviously somebody brought it with them. 
or maybe somebody's mother packed it in their thing as a maybe, superstition. But yeah, he he says no one. But I don't know. Yuri, come on. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Supposedly, Kolevatov kept a personal diary. Because mm-hmm. they all, you know, most of them all did. Yeah. Yuri also testified that it was with him on the last trip, yet the diary went missing. Wow. One okay. of the ski poles show signs of damage made by a knife. Many theories and explanations have surfaced, but no one could give a proper answer or why the uh, hiking group would damage such an important part of their equipment. Interesting. The cedar tree was still something they couldn't fully explain. Mm-hmm. One of the search team noted that the side of the tree facing the slope and the tent was completely cleared of branches. As I mentioned before, there were plenty of other low young trees they could have used for firewood, but the branches they were cutting, taking were young and they weren't dry. The ones oh, from the cedar tree. they're not going to burn. And some weren't even used. They were scattered along the ground. The search team member stated, it looked as if someone had created a viewing hide facing the site from where they came. So, okay. Yeah. They're, they, they went, something happened at the tent. They're like... They're, they're going back to look at what's going on. The path the four that were found in the ravine took, or in fact, all of them, really. Why did they choose this route instead of trekking back down to their provisions they left at the forest at the bottom of the mountain? I'm going to show you the map. Right. They went the opposite direction as if something was blocking that way. Okay. Last. Uh-huh. Autopsy and Dubinina found that there were, was a dark brown mucosal mass in her stomach. This indicated that her heart was beating and the blood was flowing when her tongue was removed from her mouth. She was still alive when her tongue was taken from her. (gasps) No, I don't like that, Nicole. I don't like that, Nicole. So this is the large cedar tree pointing out. Those are the bodies. Uh This is the tree Uh or the fire and area. There are so many trees around them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's so many trees. They cut all the way up to 16 um, feet up. Yeah. This is that tree again. This is where it's facing. Uh That's how far it went up. Uh Uh-huh. Now, the map. See? So, there's a tent. Uh Uh-huh. This is the the ravine. They went that way. Mm Mm-hmm. This is where they came in. Yeah. They all went the opposite direction from where they came in. Yeah. And and, and, in the slope where the avalanche... they. Where they came in, they would have just kept going down. Yeah. they. It's like they went um, per, uh, perpendicular. Yeah. That's the right word. Yep. <laughs> they went perpendicular to the mountain instead of going back down. Oh, my god. So that's what I've got for you for the Diet Love Pass. Okay. What do you think? So they saw a fireball. Fireball, and they didn't know what it was. They needed to leave the tent because they didn't feel safe where they were at the tent. But so why they cut didn't... it open from the inside? If they saw a fireball. If they cut it open from the inside, they didn't want whoever was in the fireball to see them leave because the the front of the tent is facing the fireball. So they had to cut out the side so that whoever was in the fireball didn't see them leave. So they left and went But why didn't they run away? They walked calmly away. Because they wanted to be quiet and not seen. Okay. So they left calmly and quietly and they didn't and take probably anything tiptoed and didn't take anything or i mean some of them took some things one person took a camera some were dressed warmly yeah some were dressed warmly but I, probably they were doing that at night they I found one set of shoe prints but everybody oh, else, one shoe what oh one just one shoe one shoe <laughs> and then okay so they left as quietly and as calmly as they could 
to go hide. They found a, a place to, to, to hide. But I think that some stuff went down because they were spying on what was happening in the fireball. Whoever was in the fireball came back and attacked them, did some radioactive crazy stuff that crushed only the one inside. Person. Crushed the inside of the person. So the radioactive clothing. Well, the radioactive clothing, yeah, was, was on, on the person one the person. Tree. He, that yeah. was the guy that was under the cedar tree with cedar no clothes tree. on. Yeah. So my thought was they came back and took his clothing, right? Yeah. The people in the ravine yes. came back and took his clothing. Yeah. Because he was already dead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so they took the clothing of all the dead people, the five people. Well, okay. So I think possibly yes, but okay. So I think that people were going out to either go back to the tent to get provisions or to spy on what was happening with the the fireball. Mm -hmm. They stumbled across some crazy shit that was going down. Right. So they were trying to hide from it and go back and and spy on it and see what was going on. And whatever was going on just picked them off and eventually found the den. But the three people that were like Diet Love and the other two... I, they didn't have any injuries, so they were probably coming back. I, I believe they did die of hypothermia because there was nothing on them unless it was like a brain thing that alien got to them. But yeah. The but three, what about the guy with the gray ooze coming out of the was, cheek and the mouth? That They were in the den. That person was in the den. Yes. Okay. No. I think so. No. Oh, no. You're, found... you're confusing me. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> yeah. Dorshenko, he's one of the two under the the cedar tree. He's the one with the brown purple complexion and had gray foam coming from his right cheek and gray liquid was leaking from his mouth. So one of the cedar tree guys. Yes. And Krovoshenko and the other guy was had the, the rigor mortis radio- on his back or yeah. whatever. And, and he radioactive was the one with clothing. radioactive clothing that they took. Okay, so some crazy shit happened with those guys. Yeah. And then, but that's all they found. They couldn't find any other injuries with those two. So then the people that were in the ravine. So I think everybody went to the ravine mm-hmm. and then people were coming out of the ravine to spy on what was going on and they were getting picked off. But the ravine people kept coming back out and either taking their clothing or taking their supplies to keep spying on what was going on. Uh-huh. And then things just kept escalating. Sure. From there. That's what I think. I don't know who it was or what it was that was going on. <laughs> if it was government testing or and this is all they're trying to cover it up and or if it was actual know. UFO or whatever. But like, I think everybody made it to the ravine and they were going back to their tent. Trying to get Trying to get their stuff and or trying spying to on the spy on what was going on. Or because I What's mean, crazy they, they had, that... one guy took a camera and yes. they had a pad of paper and yes. a pencil and they built like a, a place to hide and, and watch what was going right. on um, underneath the cedar tree. So they were trying to figure out what was happening probably they were spying on what was going on they built like an a, another tent to survive in oh my gosh this like, <laughs> i'm so crazy? fired up right now this is crazy it's stuff, a Nicole. really crazy case and again they think they solved it but uh-huh. i just they're i when i when i first started this right uh-huh. i was like oh i don't want to do this because they just said they solved it but then i started reading more and more of the evidence and things that happened and i was like it's not solved. yo this is weird there, <laughs> like, there's like not even it's it's a band-aid that's not what happened right? i mean it could have been one of the things that made them leave the tent but the fireball triggered the avalanche sure avalanche. Uh, some avalanche yeah something happened but like i don't know there's just too many weird occurrences Ooh, on this so, and they were this all is good experienced 
hikers. This is the big part. Like they weren't yeah. just like me going up on a day camp. I would have died right you away. You would have died right away <laughs> yeah. in avalanche. Yeah. Have, like, but they were, they knew what they were doing. They've had experience in a, in a mountain that was that crazy with the, the turbulent weather. Like they know what they were getting themselves into. So what the heck happened? And, and the tent was fine. It was just slashed from the inside. Yeah, because that's all how they were able to find stuff, their journals and everything. All of their stuff was fine. Yes. In the tent. Yes. So they did. It wasn't a chaotic flea. No. It wasn't like a chaotic said, scene. Nope. It was an ordered scene. They orderly cut the escape, tent open, walked away. Built a new shelter. Built other fires. Something was going down and they were going back to spy on it. Right. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this is Who knows? Tough. This is a crazy story. I so love this it. is why I picked it. Thank you, Nicole. That You just blew my mind wide open. Right? I'm like, what do I do with this information yes. now? I'm going to be like researching this and trying uh -huh. to figure it out and come up you with have my own to theory. Read, and there, okay, so there's a website. It's at dietlovepass.com. You can even, like I said, look at photos <sighs> of the dead bodies. Oh, no. Like very detailed yeah. and look at all the evidence. There's so many theories. There's so many questions. I went through as many as I could, but it's just, it's a crazy mysterious event that I don't think anyone's ever going to really completely solve until we all like pass away and ask that question when we die. <laughs> yes. If you guys have your own theories about what happened on the diet love pass, please reach out to us at the ominous stitch at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you just want to talk about anything else, if you have any other ghost stories or anything else that you just want to reach out and say, we really want to connect to you guys. So yes. please reach out to us at our email or on any of our social Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, TikTok, <laughs> all of the things. So all reach things. out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to build our community. Yeah. If you would like to support our wonderful little podcast, you can please go to our patron on Podbean. So you can find us at Podbean and look up TOS or The Ominous Stitch and it will take you right to the patron where you guys can donate any dollar amount that you want to. That's and we right. will give you shout outs. We will send you stuff. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. And now it is time for movie time. Yes. Yes. Movie time. Movie time. This week's movie that we tried to kind of keep it on on track with our theme of our story is called The Ritual. The Ritual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thanks, Miles. Like Miles likes it. Yep. It was released in 2017. IMDb rating of 6.3 stars. And the synopsis, a group of old college friends reunite from a trip to a forest in Sweden, northern Europe, but encounter a menacing presence they're stalking them. Ooh. So, you know what? Yeah. This is probably one of my more favorite movies. Of I, I like this movie, too. Yeah, horror it, in, the, in the woods. Yeah, it got category. me. This movie, I saw it a long time ago, and mm -hmm. it has stayed with me. Right? So when you were like, let's watch The Ritual, I was like, oh, I know that one. <laughs> I know it. I've seen it. It stayed with me. Like the, the hands on the, that that's the thing that stayed with yes. me the most, but <laughs> the creature, the Jotun. Yes. The Jotun. But yeah. So if you want to recap real quick, we just gave it away. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a bunch of group, a group of college kids and they, in the trailer, they didn't even touch up why it's just such a big trigger at the beginning, but like one of their friends passes away and one of them basically could have saved him. 
Yeah. And I don't want to give too much away. But then, so, but they were all at the beginning talking about a trip that they wanted to take. And they were like, let's go to there and let's go to, to Amsterdam. But the one that passes away wants to take a hiking trip to Sweden. Yeah. So six months later, they end up going out there. They they go on this hiking trip to, and they like memorialize their, their right. buddy there. Right. Because he died. Which was a ritual. It was a ritual. So that's they what I thought was kind of funny. So what happens is everything's going to plan until one of the guys like hurts, injures his ankle. Which they all pr- predicted he wasn't going to be the greatest hiker. Yeah, yeah. So he winds up injuring his ankle and then they decide to take a shortcut to this lodge and that's where everything goes wrong. They, right. they take a shortcut and then they wind up in the territory of the, what's it called again? It's a Jotun. A Jotun. It's a god. Yeah. And you did research on Jotun. I did. Yeah. Well, it's basically, it's it's the offspring of Loki. That's what they believe Ooh. in Norse mythology. Oh. And they can be really pretty or they could be really creepy looking. Yeah, this is really <laughs> creepy looking, guys. It the, Okay, so the creature is kind of like this weird elk-like kind of thing, mm-hmm. but it has like a human... human like it looks like a human's hanging from his face. Yeah, it's weird. It's creepy. I don't like the human hands. There's, and he that's stands the up thing that, too. Yes. Like, oh. And that's the thing, like you see this elk-like thing come out of the forest at one point, and then it has these hands that come out and touch somebody. And that's like, that's the part that is ingrained in my brain. And it just stayed with me. But there's a lot of elements in this movie that are just really like supernatural witchcrafty. And then you go into all these like weird dreams and the way Mm -hmm. that it was shot was really cool. Yeah, they did a good job. The forest itself is crazy. Oh, I would not want to be in that forest. No, (laughs) like all of the branches are so sharp and spiky. Yes. Oh. It's really creepy. It is like obviously you shouldn't be going through this forest. Obviously. Not a hiking trail. Yeah. They just keep making bad decision after bad decision. (laughs) Yeah. And it is, it is funny because they don't want to talk about anything like their, their feelings or what happened to them. They're very, like let's keep going until we get there you know and yeah very manly yes like, masculine just shove it down shove it yes. way down yeah and the and whole time that guy's guilty yeah. the whole time and that's what takes each one of them down eventually is, right is their repressed feelings right their repressed emotions exactly that's Except what, the one that's, that's why he was chosen though yeah he's so repressed and so guilt-ridden that they think he would be a good worship like so um what's it called docile uh-huh to worship worship yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. But they come across the people. Oh, that, that the village is creepy even. Like, you know, they can do, they could have made it really cheesy. Uh-huh. Because you've seen, I've seen those movies where, you know, it's like they yeah. come across these like podunk people and the, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they did a really good job with it. Like. Oh, it was so good. It was it creepy. It was a good, creepy movie. Yes. It's like. It it's psychological. Seemed, it's psychological and elements of it seemed like just very real and yes. raw and yeah yeah like it could be real life <laughs> right it was so good so i really liked this movie it was a good one good job netflix good for one. picking this so one. i don't agree with the six what was it 6.3 6. 6.3 yeah i would give it at least a seven i give it an eight you give it an eight whoa yeah, because i would rewatch this yeah that's that good <laughs> it, it was is. creepy some elements i was like i need to close my eyes i'm like no i have to watch this movie <laughs> yeah 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 and some of it you're like it's too i don't like where this rabbit hole is going yes you don't like it oh the one yeah. my one you're talking about the hands but the yeah. one scene he goes up into the um where their their kind of encampment is and he goes upstairs he's able to escape mm-hmm. and where they prepare them for the sacrifice oh. and there's all these people sitting because again spoiler alert the Jotun's keeping this group the village there because in exchange they can live forever right so you see these like bodies but they don't look human it's because yeah. they've been there for 
I don't know how long. Hundreds of years. But then one starts yeah. to move and that like freaked me <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. So it, they did a really good job. I yeah. Think. yeah. So yeah, I give it an eight. Yeah. Oh, good. High praise for the ritual. Yeah. Well, this is ritual. a super quick movie review, but this is a nice long episode. So yes. We've covered a lot of ground. We did. Oh, but yeah, like, like Angela said, if you have any theories or what you believe in about the diet love pass, please let us know. Yes. We want to know. We want to connect with you. And so until we talk to you guys next and until we dive into another fun episode. Yeah. We'll see you, Stitchers. See you, Stitchers. Stitchers.